0: Hi, and welcome back. This is Larry, and this is podcast number 16. And today I think we're going to talk about why is it important to enter into treatment when you realize that you have a problem with addiction. Let's try to analyze what causes addiction for so many. Let's say there's something that hurts us. Not everybody. Some people just get in with a group that's using, and they uh, they too start to use and certain drugs are addicting, and they need help getting out. Why would they get in with this group to begin with? Maybe there's something that causes pain that they don't even realize. Pain is, in most cases, what causes us to enter into addiction. It could be all sorts of pain. It could be that we just don't have self-esteem, and we don't realize it. It could be that we don't think that we're good enough to hang out with other kids. It could be that we are not one of the cool kids on the block, or we're not one of the cool kids in school, and so we get in with a group. And When we use drugs, it makes us feel better, and it helps build our self-esteem. Let's ask ourselves the question, could this be... A way of self-medicating. We have a problem about our self-esteem. Instead of going for help, we use drugs. What do we use the drugs for? We use the drugs to make us feel better. And sometimes it breaks down uh, boundaries that keep us from showing ourself and bringing out ourself. And uh, sometimes there's shame or there's. Maybe maybe our parents told us that we, you know, look dumb when we tell jokes and stuff like that. Maybe they tell us we don't have good voices. Maybe they tell us that we're not smart in school. Maybe they tell us little things and we don't even realize that they're doing something that builds up inside us that we can't seem to break down or overcome. How do we do it? We get in with a group or we start taking a medication that helps us feel better, and it spirals out of control. I would venture to say that there are more people out there, even people that are not using, that suffer from situations like this. Let's take, uh, we hear a lot of noise about a certain uh, Supreme Court Justice who got into supposedly got into maybe he would have gotten into it because he's a very bright guy Uh, he's a, a very bright attorney and he worked his way into the supreme court he felt and he did away with affirmative action but he felt that he couldn't get a job when he got out of law school because when they heard that he got into law school because of affirmative action, they felt he wasn't as qualified as somebody who didn't. Now, let's was that true? No. But that was something that he assumed to be true and didn't get help. He graduated in the 60s when racism was rampant in this country. I remember when I was on active duty in the National Guard. It was in the era of Vietnam, and uh, a buddy of ours, we went to a bar, uh, where was it, Lake Charles, Louisiana, and they wouldn't let him in because he was black. That had nothing to do with his education. They didn't ask to see a diploma and say, sorry, you can't come in because of that. It was pure racism. And there was a good chance that he couldn't get a job because he was black, and not because of the college that he attended and how he got into it. But he just took his thoughts and ran with it, and maybe he needed a little help. So we see that it's not limited to just people with uh, low self-esteem, because he's a pretty smart guy. In most cases, People don't realize that they have pain inside when they become addicted to drugs. And I'll separate it out for ease of thought when they I'm addicted to drugs and alcohol. But alcohol is a drug, and that's something that we all have to realize. I had people that, you know, separated it out. They would say, "Uh, I'm not an addict, I'm an alcoholic. At the break, when I used to attend family night meetings... And I'm a pharmacist, so I know my chemistry somewhat. I'm old now, and I don't remember the structures like I used to, but I could still draw the chemical structure for ethyl alcohol. When they came back, I'd stand up, go to the board where I drew the structure for ethyl alcohol and say, what is this? They'd look at me and say, I don't know, it looks like a drug. And I said, you're right, it's ethyl alcohol, it's a drug. Just the fact that they didn't see it as a drug, seemed to make them feel a little better. I would tell them that the, the name of the disease is addiction, and what you use is the symptom of your disease. So if you want to separate out alcohol, you know, by all means, if that makes you feel better. But why do we enter into treatment? Why don't we still... Not we. I'm not in the program, and I don't want people to think that I am because I was able to gain knowledge by going to meetings, but I didn't have to work like you have to work. So I don't want you to think that I deserve credit like you deserve credit for overcoming your addiction. I just had to sit and learn, and learning, I feel, is not an easy task, but it's sure not up to what you have to go through to go into recovery and stay in recovery and god bless you sure do deserve all the credit in the world when you go into recovery long-term recovery and uh, i'm not up against that you are and you deserve all that credit there's a reason that health insurance companies pay for treatment and there's a reason that there are so many treatment centers open now and that's because something caused you to use. The therapists in these treatment centers are able, not all the time, but they're able to work on you and help to bring that pain to the surface. What can that pain be? I mentioned some of them. Maybe you grew up with a parent that said, you can't do that, you're not smart enough. Some parents break up, and children feel responsible for the breakup. Some kids uh, feel that they have to overreact and go into something that's going to bring them uniqueness where people look at them and say, oh, you know, I, I, an addict. And uh, But they, they try to succeed at what they do and even try to succeed to be a cool addict until they realize that they're helpless and it's not cool. There's something to uh, the fact that Watch, how can I put this without causing a stampede of insults to me? Because I don't like to be insulted. But I have the feeling that a lot of times people use for acceptance and to get into a clique, and they feel that there's a certain amount of coolness about the drug use initially. You know what you're doing. When somebody uses heroin, they know it's not recreational anymore. They know that even though they tell themselves that they're gonna use heroin only once a month, they know that's not gonna happen because the group that they get into are using and they're gonna use and it's progressive and they're gonna start using more and more. Very, very, very few people that I've met can control their heroin use and use it very seldom and not become addicted. Otherwise, I wouldn't have met them. Maybe there are people out there I haven't met any. Well, of course, I meet people that are in treatment. What is it that brings you to use? There's something in there. Is it the pain that's inflicted or something buried deep in you that causes you to try to bring something to the top? Is it okay, I'm gonna be cool? I never was cool before, but now I'm accepted and I'm cool. Is it trying to overcome that negativity that you've heard from your parents or friends, or maybe, maybe uh, your parents were like five foot four, your dad was five foot four, he was short, you were short, you couldn't make teams, you weren't good in athletics. There was a, a lack of acceptance. Something caused pain, and you don't know what it is. Maybe you do, but you don't let it come to the surface. There is somebody in that treatment center that could try and find it, and not. it's not always findable in your initial treatment. Otherwise, if they could bring it out and they could bring you into recovery, and you would say, ah... That's what's been bothering me, and it could happen at every treatment. Um, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't be going to treatment centers and relapsing and going to treatment centers and relapsing. Maybe I shouldn't even be saying this like that, because once you go into addiction and you're an active addiction and you come out, why do we relapse so many times? Is it the pain... Has the therapist found what's causing the pain, and it's just the drugs that are pulling you back, or is it the pain? That's something that's open for discussion. It could be the drug has such a a hold on you that you can't kick, and you can't just stop using after one treatment or two treatments. I do know that as you go into more treatments... If you're serious about your recovery, it does get easier. That could be because as you let down that wall between you and you open up the roots of communication between you and the therapist, that wall is down and things become more open and you allow what's causing you to use to come to the surface. Like I say, I'm not a therapist, my knowledge comes from just attending meetings for 16 years, or maybe less, maybe more, maybe a year more, maybe a year less. But I know I've—it's—it's uh, it's at least 15 years, and I gained a lot of knowledge. And you can too. And that's why you got to go to these meetings. Your sponsor, your support group—they can lead you along, but can they actually help you bring stuff to the surface? Sometimes. Sometimes when you're having an urge and you can't control that urge, your sponsor or your support group will help you and they can bring you back if you go in time. But sometimes you don't even realize that you're going to use. And keep in mind that when you actually, the actual act of using is end stage relapse. You start to relapse way before you use. Is it possible to go into recovery without going to treatment? I would never say no. If you think you could get straight without going to treatment, you don't have insurance, you can't get into a government facility, by all means, go to meetings. There are people there with knowledge. There are people there that could help you get straight. Uh, There are people there that have been in treatment many times and maybe they can discuss things with you and help you bring it up. I know when I had my halfway house, my sober living facility, I had a house manager. I could use his name because John passed from cancer. He he was not an educated guy. He graduated high school, he had a, a New York City job with the Department of Sanitation. But he knew a lot about the disease and he would talk with the guys and we had a fairly good rate of people staying clean and going into long-term recovery. I attribute that to John because a lot of the guys that stayed in long-term recovery weren't able to go into treatment again until their insurance would pay. In Broward County, where my facility was, there was a waiting line to get in, and John would talk to them and take them to meetings, and the guys at the meetings would talk to them. Sometimes they were able to keep them out. If this happened, then it was a good thing that John did, and John was able to do it, but John wasn't a therapist. He did a good job. He deserves a lot of credit because he helped a lot of people, but he couldn't really help them get to the point that a therapist could. I am a strong believer in going into treatment. I think everybody should go into treatment if you don't have insurance, if your family isn't covering you on their insurance, if you're over the age where they won't uh, cover you on insurance. Uh... Unless you take out your own policy, which is very expensive and a lot of people can't afford it, put your name on the list, get into a government facility over time. In the meantime, go to meetings. It is very, very important to get that help from a therapist because they could find that pain. And that pain is in deep because after a while, you get so used to life that you can't recognize the pain. Uh, Maybe they say that you're dumb. I know I have a great-granddaughter who I love very much, and she has a problem with reading. Sure, you pay taxes in Broward, but getting help in schools is not an easy task. Her mother had to fight and fight and fight. Now they got her into a reading program, and hopefully I believe, and I'm not a therapist. I repeat that often because I don't want anybody to think I am But uh, I believe she has a a problem with reading, possibly dyslexia. She writes her numbers backwards. She needs help, and she's very bright. She has an extensive vocabulary, but she has trouble with reading, and she's not going to be successful until she gets that help. And there's a lot of you out there. I mean, she's a happy child, and she doesn't notice anything there's a problem. Just like a lot of addicts. They just think that, you know, hey man, you know, using is cool. But why are you using? Why do so many people ruin their lives? And I, I'm not I'm not gonna a lot of people ruin their lives. If you're rich you can live a better life. I mean if you're very rich you can live a better a better life in active addiction because you got the money to buy your drugs, you don't have to worry about working but that's not how to live, because I used to say there were three ways for an addict to go. You can go into recovery, you can go into jail, or you can overdose. As I learned more and more about the disease, I realized now that there's four ways to go. You can go into recovery, you can go into jail, you can overdose, or you can live a horrible, horrible life. Because think about what the life of the person in active addiction is. The person in active addiction gets up in the morning, has to get loaded. Now, if they're somebody of no financial means, they got to go out and find out how to get money, which means they either have to prostitute themselves, they either have to steal something, they either have to steal from the pusher, and any one of those. You get up, you prostitute yourself, you can get arrested. And detoxing in jail is no great thing. That's a horrible, horrible experience. You can knock off a store, you can rob a person, but those are very dangerous. There again, you knock off a store or you shoplift, you can get arrested and have to detox in jail, and that's horrible. You can uh, steal from the pusher, your supplier. If you steal from your supplier because you don't have money, you could end up dead. There's no problem in that. My daughter was a beautiful girl. They let her slide a little bit, but she was threatened a lot. There's always the possibility that when you use you're going to overdose and die. So these are the things that they live with. And if you're rich, there's always the possibility you could overdose or die and get arrested. All the money in the world won't keep you out of jail, and all the money in the world won't keep you alive if you overdose. What, What else is there to think about when you're using? Getting better. And that's the most important thing to think about. So many people, so many people don't realize what the life of the addict is. Aside from all those other things that the addict faces with death and uh, getting arrested and different things from using, uh, how about the, the pain of losing family, uh, the family members that will no longer speak with them? The family members that disconnect from them and that they're living in the street or they're living in crash pads, they can no longer feel free to call their family, their loved ones, their children if they happen to have been married when they started using. That's, that's another thing that happens. There's a lot of things that affect the addict. There's a lot of pain there. They've been divorced, let's say, and their children are forbidden. Uh, They're not allowed to see their children until they get straight, but yet they can't get straight. And Just when things are going well for them and they're about to get visitation rights, they, they relapse and start to use against. There's so many different angles and different things that tangents that Things are coming at you from when you're in uh, active addiction and when you're used. Um, people don't always understand this disease either. When you go to court, you got to be fortunate enough to get a judge that knows about the disease. Yes, there's a lot of courts uh, that have... Uh, you know, courts that have drug uh, counselors and stuff like that, and not stuff like that. I hate when I speak like this, but I'll get back to this. Uh, you now, sometimes you you go before a judge that is in recovery. Drug courts are famous for that. They have judges that are usually in recovery. They can understand a little better and you might do better with them, but some judges just think that this is something that you decided to do. And if you really loved your family, when I say family at this part, I'm talking about a wife and children. If you really wanted to see them, you wouldn't have used. You wouldn't have relapsed. They gave you a chance and you blew it. So they're not going to give you another chance for a long time. You got to prove yourself to them. They don't understand the disease, and they don't understand how hard it is to maintain your sobriety. And uh, besides the attraction from the drug and the the drawing back to using is the effect, but they don't understand also the mental situation, the, the feelings that maybe you're not well enough. Maybe you don't have the esteem, is what I'm—esteem the esteem is the word I'm looking for—to deserve your visitation rights, and that causes you to relapse. There's so many angles that this comes from, and these are things that if you're fortunate enough to go before a judge— they might understand if they're in recovery but often there aren't judges that are in recovery and they look down upon those that use they think it's just something that they can control and they choose not to so life is not easy for the person who suffers from the disease of addiction it's a hideous disease and it, it there's so many different angles i've I've been going to meetings for 15, 16 years and I've learned so much about this disease and people would say to me, why do you keep going to meetings, your daughter's passed, why do you go? And my first answer would be because every meeting I go to I learn something new about the disease and the second thing is My daughter would want me to go and try to help somebody at this point. If there's life after death, if she's in heaven or wherever she is, she would want me to try to help somebody. And I don't make money from a podcast. I do this because I care. So uh, I'm not the most elegant speaker. The 40 years of living in South Florida, I still maintain my Brooklyn accent. I... I'm kind of running out of time, so I want to wish you all a safe week, and I hope you come back next week. I try to do a podcast every week, you know, bring things up. If you have any questions, I would appreciate that. You could probably even leave it on here. Now, I'm computer, not bright, but uh, there's probably a place on this podcast where you could leave your questions, but if not, you can put it on my uh Email, which is addiction in the family at gmail.com. I want to let you know that if you want to know where you can find a good facility, call SAMHSA, S A M H S A, which is the Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration. Their phone number is 1 800 662. 4357, and if you happen to know somebody that's hearing impaired, it's 1-800-487-4889, and I'd also like to take a moment to plug my book, which by some coincidence is Addiction in the Family, Now What?, it's available online through Amazon. And if you go to addictionandfamily@gmail.com, at gmail.com, I believe we have a QR thing where you can get right to Amazon site. So I want to wish you all a safe week, a happy week, and again, you can send me in your questions. Any questions you might have, I'll try to get to it within the week. And I want to thank you all for listening and have-